This morning, we continue and we conclude a series. We continue our series on reminders, recalling the truth in the face of falsehood. Any falsehood out there today? You, you see any falsehood on CNN and Fox News and all over them? I'm not calling out any specific one. I'm not for any specific one. I'm just saying there's a whole lot of falsehood. And that's not in the church. That's outside the church, right? And then we come inside the church and we find out there's just as much falsehood. Just as many false messages going out in the church as outside the church. You're not amen in that, but it's the truth. We begin this series in 2 Peter. We went over that particular uh, book, and then we jumped into Jude last week with Tim Volstrom, and I was praying and thanking the Lord that Tim had so many things to do last week that he couldn't finish the book of Jude because it means I get to do it. And so uh, I am greatly uh, thankful to the Lord for making him so busy and having to announce a new lead pastor and all that stuff that he could not get to the end of this book. So thank you, Lord, for that. So what are some of the things we've talked about in this series? Let me kind of summarize that really quickly um, because last time I preached, I went like 55 minutes. I'm going to try not to do that this morning. How's that sound? And you all said, amen. All right. Especially those that can't sit that long. Uh, we did a bunch of uh, titles called A Sure. That's how they all started. A uh, Sure. Uh, Matthew kicked us off with A Sure Thing or A Sure um, Faith, you might say. A Sure Faith. You place faith in God and in his son, and it's a sure thing. And then Tim came back with a sure word. The word of God is a sure word from God. It's not questionable. It is the truth about who he is. And then we did a, a sure warning, warning you about false teachers. And then we did a sure promise. Right? He is not slow in keeping his promise. He's coming. Amen? He's coming back. We don't know when that will be, but whatever time that is, it'll be the perfect time as far as he's concerned. But remember, in his patience, what do we find in God's patience? Salvation. I hope you remember these things. That was incredible truth in there. God's patience in waiting means salvation to some that are elect. Thank God he didn't come back before I got a chance to be elect and fulfill the electing purpose of God in my life. Thank God he didn't come back before you had the opportunity to do the same. And today, I titled this sermon, and it's kind of redundant, A Sure Assurance. A sure guarantee. There's a guarantee here in Jude, but I first must complete some of the what you are supposed to do. The, the sure assurance is found in what we're commanded to do. Very interesting, isn't it? In Jude, uh, last week, Tim pointed out several things about false teachers. It was all about false teachers until he got to verse 17. 
When we got to verse 17, and it says, and now you have to do something. Make your faith more sure. Love one another. Uh, pray and anxiously await his coming. Is that wasn't that that's in there, I think. I hope so, because I re-looked at it. And so in that process, oh by the way, we're gonna be in Jude. I don't know if there's a slide. I think they made a slide for me. Somebody was doing that about midnight last night for me. Um, Jude 22 through 25, if you look at your, your Bible in front of you in the pulpit there, uh, or in your pew, it's a page 866. And you're going to have to take by faith that it's page 866 because it's not really on the page. It goes from 865 to 868. For some reason, 66 and 67 are not in the book. But trust me, that's the page. Yeah, look, take a look at that if you want to. It's kind of funny. When I went to look for that page number, I'm like, there is no page number here. Kind of interesting. But in, let's, let's just read Jude 22 and 23, and then we're going to get into the assurance. But let me tell you something. We have been talking all about a group of people that have infiltrated the church, the false teachers, the apostate, those that are telling you false things about Christ, those that want to tell you there's another way to get to him besides Christ, or they want to tell you that he was just a good man, he wasn't God. They want to pollute or dilute the gospel. And Christ himself said, if you add or subtract from these truths, you make them, you know what they are? If you add or subtract to them, you make them void. They lose the true power that they're supposed to have because it's no longer the truth when you add or subtract from it. But notice, this is what takes place. Tim kind of pointed this out last week. In verse 4, he says, certain persons. In verse 8, he says, these men. In verse 10, these men. Verse 11, they. Verse 12, these men. Verse 14, these. Verse 16, these and then one comment over in verse 19, these again. And in contrast to that, verse 17, he says, but you. Verse 20, he says, but you. And in those verses, in most of the final section down to verses 24 and 25, the direction that Jude takes is to talk about what we do to win the war against these false teachers. It's not just they're in here and we can do nothing about it. Right? They're in the room. They're in here right now. Some of you are spouting false doctrines because some of you just don't know any better. But some of you are spouting that because you really believe it. And I say, if you don't believe that Christ is enough, you're not saved. If you don't believe that salvation is found in Jesus Christ and him alone. If you don't believe he's part of the Trinity, you don't believe he was God, if you think he was just a man or a prophet or whatever you want to put, whatever category you want to put him in this morning, you're not saved if you believe that. And that's what Jude is dealing with when he deals this last section of 22. He points out three categories of people. And we're going to go over those really as quickly as I can. They're unbelievers within the church. First of all, verse 22, they are confused. We, when I did 
Second uh, Peter chapter 2, I talked about they're on the edge. They're people that are on the periphery. They haven't accepted Christ, but they're trying to discover him. They're saying, I, want, I need a Savior. I know I do, but I've never been introduced to Jesus Christ. Some of you are in the room today, and you're in that category. Some of you have been coming to Valley Bible Church for years, and you remain confused. You come here and we preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. We do it as clear as we possibly can. He has to be the one that persuades you and shows you it. But then you go away and you watch some televangelist and he tells you something different and you get confused. That's what the false teachers do. They muddle it up. They make it so it's not clear. They pollute the gospel. So they're confused. What does he tell you your job is to do with someone that's like that? He says, forget about them. What's he say? It's what we just sang about that he's doing for us. Thank God his mercies are new every day. Some of you don't believe it. His mercies are new every day. And he says, now, you be merciful. Don't write them off. They're breathing, and their heart's beating. God can change them. When do you get to not be his ambassador? When, when do you get to check out and say, I don't care about those people? This last week I had two people tell me, we don't want those kind of people on our campus. Do we? I said, I absolutely want those kind of people on my campus. They're unbelievers. They don't know Christ. Guess what? They're where you used to be, and you've forgotten about it. Remember where he brought you from. Remember it. If you're here this morning and you're confused, oh, we want to make him clear to you. I want you to know that Jesus Christ, he came and he took on a body and he was fully God and fully man. And I can't explain that fully to you where you'll really understand it because I don't even grasp it most times. I know it says it's true, so it's true. I have a sure word. You have a sure word this morning. So he became a man. He took a little baby's body. He was dependent on his mother and his father to raise him. He had to learn to use the restroom like everybody else. He had to learn how to feed himself. That's what God did for you. Then he took on ministry and he took disciples with him and he healed tons of people and fed them. He did all these miracles to show that he was the son of God. And he preached against the false teachers, did he not? And then he went to a cross. The one who was totally innocent, he had done nothing to deserve that cross. Nothing. You know why he went? Because he knew I deserved that cross. He knew you deserved that cross. I was confused at one time, and so were you. And he went on a cross. And he bore the sins of the world. He who knew no sin became sin on your behalf. Okay, that was pretty good. I hate to have to coach you every time I preach. 
He who knew no sin became sin on your behalf. Don't make me think that the early service is all on the fringe. You do understand these truths. And then he died on a cross. He was buried. And on the third day, on the third day, oh my goodness, on that third day, he walked out of that tomb. And because of that, he's alive today. And guess what? Danny and the worship team saying, I was dead and I walked out of that tomb when he called me. I could not have walked out of the tomb when he called me if he had not walked out of the tomb. This is not part of my sermon. But yet it is. But yet it is. Your job is to your ministry. See, we've taught you in Jude, he's taught, remember, remember about the false teachers. Remember what you have in Christ. And then he said, remain in it. Remain in it. That's what Tim talked about last week. Remain. How do I remain? I get stronger in the word of God. I pray. I love one another. And I anxiously await the Father to send Jesus Christ to come and get me. Oh, what a Savior. What a Savior. But now, in these latter portions, remember, remain. And now your job is reach out. Reach out. Show them something. They're confused. If no one tells them the truth, you know what will happen? They'll remain confused. Our job is not forget them. Our job is go to work. Be the ambassador that God intended you to be. I don't know about this. There's something about this pulpit that dries you out because I feel like I'm in the desert right now. So these are the ones that we have to be con concerned with. The first category is those that are confused. Why do I say they're confused? Because it says they have doubts. They have doubts. They're confused. They're, hey, listen, um, I was talking with a young man this week, came in my office, counseling him, and he said, Larry, I, 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 it's not that I don't believe, and it's not that I have doubts, but I have these questions that I don't have answers to. And I'm like, yes, that's true. There's lots of questions I don't have answers to. But guess what? Guess what, people? Right inside of here, right inside of here, I can find the answer. I can find the answers in this book. And guess what? When you have questions that go unanswered, you will automatically doubt things. Let's just use a, a common example for today. Global warming. Is it true or isn't it true? Guess what? There's a ton of questions you have about that, and there's no answers to them yet. So you have a tendency to doubt if that's really true. But once they answer it, now you can say, that's really true. Correct? All right, some of you believe that, some of you don't. So on one hand, we're charged to protect the church, right? To, to protect it from the false teachers, to protect it from people that don't believe the way that we know that the scriptures teach. Not, the, not what we believe. 
I'm sorry, I, I get tired of saying that. Well, Valley believes this. No, the Word of God teaches this. How's that sound? A little better than, well, that's what Valley thinks. Oh, please stop doing that. This is what God says. And, and please, please stop giving me the... Uh... Oh, I won't even go there. I'm sorry. So basically, they're doubting. They're confused. They don't know anything about what they're doing. They're trying to... They really are looking for it. So our job is to do what? Present the truth to them. Present the truth how Tim talked about it last week in... With a hateful attitude, I got the answer, and you don't have the answer, and you better listen to me. Is that the way? No. You know what that does? They go, I don't want to hear from you ever. One of the keys of counseling is that the first thing about counseling, guess what? When you are presenting the gospel to someone who doesn't know it, doesn't know anything about it, you know what you're doing? You're counseling them. You are counseling them. You're telling them, here's what God said about Christ. That's a counsel. You're giving counsel to them. But one of the first things they teach you in counseling is the person across from you will have nothing to do with you. They won't share any part of their life unless they know that you love them. Hmm. So in all three of these categories, in all three of them, you've got to love the individual. You have to present the love of Christ to them. Amen? So these are people that are being affected greatly by the false teachers, the confused. Because if they only heard the truth, they could only land on the truth. Right? I mean, if they only hear the truth, then they have to reject the truth. What happens is you get false teaching, and it's partially true. And, and guess what? The false teacher is 100% sold out that what he's telling them is the truth. He is. He just totally believes what he's telling them is true. And then they start to believe it because guess what? We are, we all succumb to peer pressure. We all do. We all succumb to peer pressure. And, and you know what happens too? Those of you that are believers in the room, that are truly Christians, been saved for a long time, you hear some of this stuff and you go, it doesn't sound quite right. But he's pretty passionate about it so uh, I don't want to say anything you, you never done that you never done that I, well I've done it I've done it like oh he's so passionate maybe he knows something that I haven't studied yet I, I, maybe I don't know that truth well so then what do I do do I just succumb to it if I know it's really not true no I go find enough evidence in the Bible to say that's not true let's talk about that let me lovingly show you what the Word of God actually says about Christ. All right? So that's the first category. They're confused. So they're the ones that have not decided yet that they're going to go completely in a false teaching direction. Okay? They've not decided to go completely that direction. They're just confused. And that's why I think there's probably a lot of, there's probably going to be a lot of them attend today's service. Because guess what? Uh, I don't look around at any. I'm going to look down right now. Uh, there is a really good chance that in a congregation of over 700 people between the two services, there'll be over 700 adults in the room. I I'm pretty sure there's a real good chance that some of them are not saved. You think that's true? Yeah. Absolutely. And some of them are going to fall in that category of being confused. Then the second category, and, and we find this in verse 23, Still on that same uh, random page that's not really a page. 
number, uh, is they're convinced of the false teacher. They've been convinced by him. How do we know they're convinced? Because he says, save others. Notice he says, save them. He doesn't say, ignore them. You see those words? That doesn't give you, yeah, you're taking action to do something. Right? Save them. Save others by snatching them from the fire. Now listen, there's a category that says they're confused because they have doubts. And now there's a category that says they're in the fire. Not they're, they're going to get in the fire, or they might be in the fire. Some people say, well, that means they're in hell. Well, no, it doesn't. How could you save somebody in hell? You can't. But what it means is they're headed there. If they keep holding to that doctrine or that truth, they're headed there. This is the importance of you opening your mouth and speaking for God. He uses you and you and you and you and you and me and Tim and, and Matt and, and Pastor Phil and whoever else to share the truth. That's how he deals today. There's no prophets out there today giving us a new word. It's in the book. And so what we've done, unfortunately, in, in a lot of ways, in some ways is very biblical, is we've now paid others to discover things for us. Right? You know what we do? I, I'm going to put in the offering that I don't have to study because Larry will study for me. Oh, anathema to you if you think that. You get in that book. I don't want anybody studying for me. Now, that doesn't mean I don't go to men that are a lot more intelligent than me and find out what they're saying about something. But guess what I'm doing in that process? I'm studying it. I'm trying to figure it out. There's so many things in the book that we don't know 100% until you study it. All right. So these are guys that have said, I bought into what the Jehovah's Witnesses say, for instance. I bought into the Muslim religion, for instance, into uh, uh, the, the um, Seventh-day Adventists. I, I bought into these other religious views that don't show Christ as God. If, you don't, if, a, if a religion does not believe that Christ is God, what happens to them if they believe in that Christ? Yeah, yeah, they're going to go to hell. We don't like to say that, but it's the truth. Yeah. Okay, that's weak. It's the truth. But they've bought in. They've bought in. So what's he say? Save them by doing what? Snatch them. Get them out of there. If you have an opportunity to tell them the truth and they start to formulate that, get a hold of them. Get in there. Tell them the truth. Don't just say, well, you believe what you believe and I'll believe what I believe. You know what you're saying when you do that to somebody that you know is going to hell? You're saying, go ahead and go to hell. Oh, you don't like this sermon, do you? No, you don't. I didn't like it either. Because you know what I want to do? I want to say, we got it right. Here at Valley Bible Church, we got it right. And if you don't cut it straight, that's on you. If you don't believe he's really God, that's on you. God will deal with you. And he will deal with them. Because he's promised that. Didn't he? Remember 2 Peter 2? He said he was going to deal with them. He's got a special place for them, actually. Remember that? The darkest blackness, the blackest darkness, I think it said. And the problem is they've been convinced by the wrong thing. And they need help. And that snatching away is the same term that is used. Like snatching them out of that fire. How long can you survive in a fire, people? 
You ever, you ever have, uh, you ever touch a hot pan? You don't stay there very long without it affecting you, right? How long can you survive in a fire? That's why it's important that we snatch them out. It's the same term used for what God said he's going to do when he sends Christ to come back and get the church. He's going to snatch us out. Same wording. It's urgent. It's got to happen now. So that's the second category. Third category. I can get to my, I have a whole bunch of notes here. You can be thankful that I'm not covering everything I have in my notes. The third category, and, and this is the one that's very interesting. They're, they're all interesting, but this, is, this one was interesting to me. To others, show mercy. Well, wait, no, wait a minute. Didn't you tell us to show mercy in the first one? We're supposed to show mercy throughout this whole thing, I think. But he now compounds it by saying it again. To others, show mercy mixed with fear. Listen what? If you're confused this morning, I, I can deal with you differently than somebody that's convinced. Someone that's convinced to the point that they're committed to it. Because that's this third category, the committed. They're committed to the false teaching that they're doing. They're not going to sway them probably. But he still tells you, because you know why he says have mercy again? Because he knows that they're so committed to it that you'll give up. And you'll say, well, forget it then. Just go ahead and go to hell. That's, that's what will happen. So he says, show mercy mixed with fear. Why would we mix it with fear? Hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. Wow. Okay, you know what? There's a few places in the scriptures where God tells us to go deal with sin. And I think it's Galatians 6, 1 and 2. It says, go deal with the sin of your brother. And if you do deal with the sin of your brother, and he accepts that, you will win him as a, as a, a brother, okay? And, and you'll snatch him out of fire, okay? But it also says there, but be careful that while dealing with whatever it is that he's fallen into, you don't fall into the same thing, okay? So what happens here, that's what he's talking about. He's saying, to others show mercy mixed with fear. So when you're talking to someone who's very committed to a false teaching point of view, you be careful because, oh man, I want to be careful how I say this. Um, you ever do laundry? Any of y'all ever do laundry? Okay, so when you do laundry, like for others, for some reason it don't bother us when it's ours, but when it's someone else's, because this is what he's talking about. The clothing stained here, what that is, is there was two types of clothing in, in this day. One was a tunic that you wore outward. That was what everybody saw, okay? The other one was the inward clothing that sat against the flesh, against the areas that we don't like to talk about too much, all right? So basically, it was undergarments. It was like underwear. So when you're doing laundry... Do you like just reaching in and grabbing and just? Probably not. There's certain articles of clothing that when we look at them, we handle them differently. We're like, okay, I'm going to take that one and put it in there. <laughs> Is that not true? That's true, ain't it? Like if you're married to my wife, she'd say, please make sure they're not inside out when you put them in the laundry. Is that true? That's true. After 42 years, we just celebrated 42 years of marriage this last week. Yes. Thank you, Lord. So, so anyway, that's what they're saying. They're saying you handle them because even the clothing that they wear, 
This is metaphorical. It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean if you're running to Jehovah's Witnesses, you're worried about their clothing. It's a metaphor. It's saying even the clothing they wear is stained. You've got to be careful handling that because it will contaminate you. You will suddenly go, huh, I never heard of that. <laughs> you're laughing because you've all done that, haven't you? Well, now, I've never heard Pastor Phil say that, but that's an interesting thought. And I don't care if Pastor Phil said it. Does this say it? Thus saith Pastor Phil. Thus saith Tim. Thus saith Larry. No, thus saith the Lord. Amen. So that's, so there's our challenge. How do we deal with that group? You, you, you just tell them the truth still. You still deal with them in love. Now listen, I don't recommend that you get in a debate with the head of the Jehovah's Witness movement. Okay? I don't even know what they're called. But I don't recommend that you, who, who maybe aren't as studied as you should be, get in a discussion with somebody that knows 500 things about why they believe what they believe, and you're over here saying, well, they said it, so that's why I believe it. That doesn't, that doesn't translate well to people. It may be true that, that we've said it and you saw it in Scripture, so you believe it, but you need to study it in such a fashion that you can actually defend it. Now, don't tell me, well, that's your job, Pastor. Well, it is my job. You're right. But it's also your job. You know, ministry is done not by all, just the pastoral staff. Ministry is done by all of you. And let me tell you something right now. Valley Bible Church, that is so true. We have so much ministry. Tim said about it in the announcements. We are a 24-7 operation around here. You know why? Because all of you are ministering somewhere. I'm not here every day, and I'm not here seven days a week, 24 hours a day. But a lot of you are here on some of those days when I'm not. I'm here on days when you're not. But there's always somebody here ministering. Praise the Lord for that. So, why would I call that part of the sermon a sure assurance? Well, I wondered the same thing as I looked through it. And then I started thinking, well, because there, those three categories of people, the only assurance that they have of ever having an assurance is if you share with them the truth in love. You follow that? There's a sure assurance that takes place for the individual you're talking to when you present the gospel to them and they look at it for the first time and see it. There's an assurance. You know what I'm sure of? They won't. The, the person across from you will not automatically know what the gospel is until you open your mouth and tell it to them. Right? So there's, I have a couple of assurances. If you don't say anything, they're not going to get it. If you do say something, they may believe in it and it will give them assurance like what we're going to talk about next. That makes sense? Did I lose you? Okay, praise God for that. There is a sure assurance though in these next two verses and now I got limited time to talk about it and I think this could be a sermon all by itself. So fasten your seatbelt, here we go. Verse 24 and 25. <clears throat> Excuse me. Good, it's up on the board. Love it. Thank you back there. Thank you, Lynn. Lynn stays ahead of me. She hears me going somewhere. She starts typing things in. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. 
To the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages. Wow. Now and forevermore. Amen. Oh my goodness, people. Do you know how much theology is based in those two verses? There is a ton of things we can talk about. Um, this is what I want to talk about, though. I, I came from, as a young boy, I came from an Arminian background, more of an Arminian thinking. And um, I, I believed that I could lose my salvation. I believed that I could be saved and lose my salvation and be saved and lose my salvation and be saved and lose my salvation. Uh, this verse, or verse 24, is instrumental. Now, and think about this. It's really talking in context about false teaching, and it's talking about apostasy and the, the apostate teachings. And now he says, in this verse, he says, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. You notice it doesn't say to you. You can now keep yourself from stumbling. Doesn't say that, does it? In the Arminian view, it was all based on me keeping myself. Well, that's scary. I couldn't save myself, could I? How could I keep myself? It's, it's a work of him. You know, I was telling uh, Edwin Chandra, praying with him the other day. I said, Edwin, if I, um, if I wrote you a $100,000 check today and gave it to you, and said, Edwin, I just love you. I want you to have this money. Pay some bills off. He goes, he was looking at me funny. I said, yeah. I said, because you know that I don't have $100,000 that I can give you. Or, or you're pretty confident of it. Uh, you you kind of know me well enough to know I don't have that kind of resource. Or let's just bump it up even. Let's say $10 million. Say I gave him a $10 million check. Make it even more fake. More impossible. More false doctrine about my bank account. All right. But if I go, hey, I got a check here for you. It's written for $10 million. And it's from Bill Gates. What's your confidence level that check might cash? I, I know more my confidence level would be in the comparative analysis. One is in the basement, the other one is sky high. We are rich, we're buying a new home, honey. Yeah, I, just go cash it so I can get the cash. No. No, my first thought would be, how can I shield this from the taxes? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> so the important truth here for me, and there are so many things in there I can talk to you about, doctrinal things and theologies, but to me, the one that just screams at me is that I have eternal assurance. I have a guarantee. Don't we all like guarantees? You know what I hate? Is when you buy a brand new product and they try and sell you a guarantee warranty with it. When, when did that start happening? You mean you don't trust your own product enough? You're trying to sell me a warranty with this? You want me to, ex let's get the extended warranty. What? I'm spending $35,000 on a new car, now I've got to spend another three to guarantee it for three years? 
but you don't believe in your own product. Weird stuff, but we all like guarantees, don't we? We all like to be assured of things. Well, I want you to think about what kind of gospel did you believe in if you couldn't be kept? If, if God had the power and sent his son to die for us, and by believing in that, we get to go to heaven, we get to be a child of the king and all of the different things that that means. But he couldn't keep us. It's dependent on you now to be perfect. No, one minute I am, one minute I'm not. He's saying one day I am, one day I'm not. No, it's, it's second by second for me. So to me, one of the most important things about this whole passage is that, that I have eternal life, and it's not based on anything I can do. It's based on him, to him who is able to keep me from stumbling. So what happens is this. I see two things that go on in the, in, in the passage related to that. Um, first of all, salvation is too demanding for me to do it on my own. Just way too many things to be, that it demands from me. I, I couldn't do it. All right? And so that, that's one part of it. But when I looked at this, I, I saw a couple things. One is he's able to preserve me. He's able to preserve me. It's not about my ability. It's based on his ability. Now, wait a minute. Let me, let me do it a different way. It's not about your ability. It's about his ability. I'll say that again to you. It's not about your ability. It's about his ability. So you don't have the power within you to preserve yourself. Sorry. You don't. Well, now, now that you might say, no, wait a minute, I do because I have the Holy Spirit in me. Well, okay, I get that. But aside from God, you cannot preserve yourself. You guys believe that? I 100% believe that because I studied it and I know. One familiar passage that I'll just use, and, you know, and Lynn, you don't have to put this up. Let me just say it. In, in the Gospel of John, in the 10th chapter, verse 28, says this. I gave eternal life to them, and they shall never perish. That's enough for me. And listen, it goes on. And no one, no one shall snatch them out of my hand. He goes on. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. He won't let go. The Father won't let go. And no one is powerful. There's no force big enough to get you out of his hand. I like this because you know what? It means I can't even get out if I want to. One thing I know in life, I know this for sure, Paul Howard, Norman Paul Howard, 
was my dad. I know that without a shadow of a doubt. And, and guess what? No matter what I did, no matter how I disappointed him, no matter what sins I committed against him even, I never stopped being his child. He never stopped being my dad. And when you accepted Jesus Christ into your life, when God gave you that marvelous gift of faith to be able to believe that Jesus Christ had died for you, some things took place. One of them was that you became adopted in to his family and not just adopted. See, our adoptions means we go rescue somebody typically. We bring them into our family. We love them. We try and be everything we can to be their father and their mother. And, and we do, we are their dad and their mom, but we can never be their father, can we? Not when you adopt them. But God did something that went beyond that. Because he said, when you receive salvation, I put my seed in you. I'm not just an adopted child, although I'm adopted. His seed is in me. That means I'm a real child of his. Some of you aren't convinced. Philippians 1.6 says this. It's all about this, able to preserve you. And some of you know the passage. You should. He that began a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. He that began a good work in you will complete it. He did, he's not in the job of incomplete works. He's in the job of completing what he starts. And in your life today, if you, if you look back, I just had somebody come to me and say, I'm looking back and I don't, I don't feel like I've been very successful. I haven't achieved a lot of things. And I'm like, according to whose standard? What are you talking about? You haven't made millions of dollars? Well, join the club, neither have I. Doesn't mean I'm not successful. Doesn't mean I haven't achieved things. What about the fact that you're a Christian husband and a dad and, and, and that you've been there for your family? Some of that maybe made it so you didn't achieve some of the other things that other people want to say make you successful. Because what is success? That's a joke. What does that mean? Making more money, that makes you successful? What if you make all kinds of money and your soul is demanded of you today and you can't take the barns with you, can you? Ah, I call a guy that ends up in hell with all the wealth in the world unsuccessful. But the world will look at him and say, oh, he's very successful. Oh, without Christ, you're not successful. You just aren't. So he's able to preserve you. He who started it will finish it. Nobody falls through the cracks in his family. No one falls through the cracks. Listen to this. Apostates. They fall. They fall. The apostates are the ones who fall. Not you. He'll keep you from falling. He's going to see to it that they fall. You know why? I looked at this. Apostates in Israel, they were there. Guess what happened to them? They fell. Apostate angels, guess what happened to them? They were the first ones to fall, and they fell. Apostates in Sodom and Gomorrah, what happened to them? They fell. Uh, apostates in the church, they've fallen so many times. But true believers are kept 
I'm never going to fall. Never going to fall. I, I can't fall out of his family. It's impossible. I'm kept by him. And it's not because, oh, Larry Howard, you're a great guy. That's why you won't fall. Baloney. You don't know me very well when you say that. I'm as capable as anything that you've done, I'm capable of. Anything that anyone's done, I'm totally capable of it. You know what makes me fear the soiled garments? Is that in where I'm at today, where God placed me, I'm one bad decision away from him not being able to use me in the capacity that I believe he designed me for. One bad decision. That's why you live with fear a little bit. But guess what? I'm not too fearful because I got this passage. He's able to keep me. He's able to keep me from falling into apostasy. That's what he's talking about. And then look at this. Here's the other part I saw, the second one. He's able to present us. And you know what's interesting? The word present, we use it as present also. Kind of interesting, huh? Because of what Christ did, I'm going to be presented to the Father as a present. Isn't that not cool? I love the English language. I hate it sometimes, but I love it too. He is the one who will present us faultless. Faultless. Not on your works, on his work. Because it's him that does the presenting. It's him that does the preserving. Right? Okay. So the guarantee, the assurance, is only as good as the guarantor. Is that not true? That's very true. Thank God that my salvation is not based on what I do. My salvation is based on who did something for me. Now to him who is able to keep you from falling to make you stand in the presence of his glory blameless with great joy to make you stand really means to set you or to, to present you. That's what it really means. Right now we stand in his grace. Romans 5, 1 through 4. But then but then one day's coming and I'm going to stand in his glory. He's going to give me a glorified body and I'm going to stand in his glory for the rest of eternity. Right now I stand in his grace. I'm going to continue to learn about it for eternity. I know that he'll always be gracious to us. But I get to stand in his glory eventually. Oh, church, what a thought. What a thought. This is absolutely the opposite of falling, isn't it? To stand in his glory, not based on your works, but based on another's. I get to stand in his glory one day. So, <laughs> oh, I got more I could say, but I'm out of time. Listen, I love to quote Spurgeon because I think he says it better than I could ever say it. And I think it lines up with what God would have me to tell you. The value of salvation has joy. It has all those things. It was in the passage. I, like I said, I only pick out a couple things. 
But the value of salvation is in the guarantee, folks. Listen to what Spurgeon wrote. And I, I close with this. And when I heard it said that the Lord would keep his people right to the end. When I heard it said that Christ said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life. And they shall never perish, neither shall any pluck them out of my hand. When I heard that said, I must confess that the doctrine of the final preservation of the saints was the bait that my soul could not resist. It was sort of like a life insurance. An, an, an insurance of my character. An insurance of my soul. An insurance of my eternal destiny. Listen, I knew as a little boy I couldn't keep myself. But if Christ promised to keep me, then I would be safe forever. And I longed and I prayed to find Christ because I knew that if I found him, he would not give me a temporary salvation as some preach, but he would give me eternal life, which could never be lost even by some foolish decision on my part. But the living and incorruptible seed which lives and abides forever, for no one and nothing could ever separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, my Lord and your Lord, if you've placed faith in him. You will never be separated from him. You can't do anything to get out of his love. And it was that great doctrine that brought Spurgeon to salvation. It's that great doctrine that gives me so much courage today. You don't know what it's like if you've only attended Valley to believe you can lose it. I honestly believed I would lose my salvation at any moment. I heard my grandpa say one time, and I'm sorry for doing family quotes, but it's the best quote I can use for this passage. Grandpa, when did you know that it was grace and grace alone by God the Father. Oh, son, it's when I'd failed him a thousand times. I'd failed him a thousand times. Have you been there? I've been there. When I'd done it a thousand times and I'd failed. And then, and then I failed him another thousand times. And you can fail him a thousand times a thousand, but if you're truly one of his, he will not forsake you. He will keep you. He will present you faultless. On that day when you stand before him, you can say, I stand here under the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm a son. I'm a son. You can't take me out of the family. I can say to God, I can shake my fist at him. I won't do it because I'm too reverential, but I can shake my fist and say, you can't get rid of me. You put your seed in me. You can't send me back. No. No. If you're here today and you don't know him, oh, please don't leave until you talk to us. Father, we thank you this morning. I thank you, Lord, for saving me. I thank you for showing me the truth that back at Holy Ghost Hall on a little dirt floor in a classroom that smelled like mold more than anything else. These truths came to me 
through the word of God, through Gary Deaver, my Sunday school teacher. He would say, Larry, you're eternally secure. You don't have to worry about that. He's going to present you faultless one day. And it's not based on you, it's based on him. Oh, that's when I knew I was okay. It's when it, we became based on you and not me. Lord, please don't let somebody, if you're dealing with their heart this morning about they've never met you, they're confused. Oh, don't let them leave until they've decided to follow after Jesus. If you're here this morning and you're in that category, that you say, I've never placed my faith. I've heard you guys talk about it. I believe it's true. I see in the Bible, I get it. What do I, I don't know what to do with it. If you're here this morning and you feel like God is just talking to your heart, would you raise your hand for me? Just raise a hand. I see it. There's hands all over the room, people. There's hands all over the room. Well, let me tell you, all you need to do this morning, all you need to do, this is all you need to do. Just, just follow me in a prayer, but I want to see you. If you're willing to raise your hand, please be willing to come talk to me. Please do. We want to plug you into the right situation for you. But if you simply do this, God, you said that if I call on your name, you wouldn't reject me. I, I admit I need a Savior. I, I can't go on. I've sinned against you. But I believe you sent your son for me and that he died on a cross on my behalf and that by simply putting my trust, my, my trust, exercising faith, I can become part of your family. I want that, Lord. I want it today. I'm calling on your name right now. You promised me you wouldn't reject me. I want Jesus in my life. I want Jesus in my life. Oh, if you really do want that today, if you really put trust in that, if you really believe that, I would say congratulations. You're the newest member of the bride of Christ, the body of Christ. Father, we thank you for this opportunity. Bless these people now in Jesus' name. Amen.